Welcome to week 6 of Counseling 506. This week's focus is on prayer and Christian counseling. In this and the second lecture, we will look at specific ways that prayer is used in counseling and seek to understand how we can become a more prayerful people and how we can help connect our clients with God through prayer. A starting point for us is to focus on a working definition of prayer as we might use in Christian counseling. There have been thousands of books written on prayer, and the Lord was approached by his disciples with a simple request, teach us how to pray. Now these men had watched Jesus raise people from the dead. They had watched him calm a raging sea in stormy weather. They had watched him multiply the bread and fish to feed a multitude. They had watched him heal lepers and the blind and drive out demons. But somehow they perceived that the real source of power in Jesus came from his prayer life. So they didn't ask, teach us to do miracles, teach us how to calm the weather. They said, teach us how to pray. And that is still our request today, that more and more on a daily basis, we might turn to Christ himself as our teacher in prayer. Along the way, many people have been used by Christ to teach us about prayer and the life of prayer. St. Augustine was one of those great teachers. In summarizing much of his thinking and teaching about prayer, he said, True whole prayer is nothing but love. He was cutting through the layers of discussion about techniques of prayer, about proper wording or posture, places or methods of prayer, to say that prayer is our connection with the love of God. Now there is a difference between the practice of prayer in the name of Jesus and human prayerfulness. Some of you may remember the days following the September 11th terrorist attacks. Churches and chapels were nearly full even with people who claimed to believe in nothing but were there praying for relatives, friends, and loved ones who had yet to be found in the rubble of the World Trade Center destruction. There was a tremendous outpouring of human prayerfulness, an instinctive response in times of great crisis and overwhelming need for a contact with something or someone greater than us. There was a strong desire for transcendent experience, for help from beyond. But Christian prayer is more specific than that. To pray as a Christian is to believe in the power of the name of Jesus. To pray as a Christian is to pray through Jesus. Thanks be to God that the only intercessor we have is Jesus himself, who is described as being at the right hand of the Father, and he is always interceding for his people. Now there is a great paradox in prayer as we seek to define what it is. Prayer is both something we do and something we couldn't possibly do. It is a gift we receive. In church you've heard stories of believers who were called prayer warriors or that they had the gift of prayer. That is an accurate way of speaking of a praying person. Some people do seem to have a special anointing, a special gift for prayer. But prayer is something that all Christians can do and are commanded to do. 
it is an activity that we can learn and that we can teach others to do. Prayer is a basic receptive attitude that it is not what we say, nor in our posture, or any special words we use, but it is waiting on God, waiting to receive what He has for us. Also, prayer is a listening attitude. It is responding to the divine voice and call in our lives. Christian counseling always involves God has the powerful third party in healing and change. So prayer is that ultimate therapeutic relationship in which we are connected to God in the work that we do. Dallas Willard summarized prayer by describing it as the way of the request. He offers the biblically grounded insight that prayer is really a matter of asking for what we need. Seek and you will find, not and the door will be open to you. Now some have asked, if clients are paying for their therapy, should we pray with them? Well, McMinn points out that the more appropriate question is, which forms of prayer should we use with which clients, and under what circumstances? As Christian counselors, we should pray as part of our work. The real questions revolve more around how should we pray? How should we draw our clients in? In what ways can prayer be used to open up the hearts of people so that the Holy Spirit might speak powerfully into their lives? Part of the training and supervision we receive should teach us ways to show appropriate caution so that we do not violate the empowerment of the client's ability to self-direct or so that we do not attempt to draw people into praying in ways that are not appropriate to their level of spiritual development. What about if we're dealing with non-believers? Do we still pray for them? Well, of course we do. But do we pray out loud with them in the session? Do we pray silently? Do we pray outside of the counseling session? Those are just some of the questions you must wrestle with as a Christian counselor. On the next two slides are laid out a few points that compare the processes of outside-in change with inside-out change. For long-term transformational change and redemption, the inside-out process is key. This is not intended to dismiss or do away with the importance of therapeutic techniques that work from the outside-in. Those are very important to help move clients towards inside-out change. When speaking of outside-in change, people often go through what therapists refer to as dislocating experiences, such as the death of a loved one or a terrible tragedy. The counselor hopes to use a dislocating experience to create a moment in which a person might be teachable to use it as a way to break through the numbness in their life or to break habits that are causing problems. Another way people may go through outside-in change is the idea of hitting bottom. You hear this term used in addiction circles, such as in the belief that an alcoholic will finally go to rehab or start getting involved with Alcoholics Anonymous when they can go no lower but hitting rock bottom varies with each person. 
Sometimes it takes the loss of a job. Sometimes the bottom comes when a spouse has had enough and walks out, taking the children with them and leaving them alone. Or maybe the individual has been arrested for a number of DUIs and now has lost their driver's license. Sometimes the bottom comes when family and friends confront the alcoholic in the form of an intervention. Interventions can be very useful because they are intended to create a bottom without all of the consequences that might happen later on. Change therapies are methods that are actively involved in helping people to connect with their external pain so that they are more willing to change. The idea is that there is an internal balance that all of us have where we will continue doing the things we're doing until they become so painful that the cost is too high to keep doing them and then we're willing to pay the cost to change. Sometimes you hear speakers talk about acting your way into feeling and thinking. This can be a powerful outside-in type of change showing clients they can achieve the things they need by helping them to change their behavior. Recall that one of the nine dimensions of human functioning on the metamorph grid is action or the behavior of a person. So often a starting point when we want to help people see some immediate results and begin to build motivation through those results is starting with their actions. We can do this by helping them through cognitive behavior therapy to identify troublesome behaviors. Now the remarkable thing is that as our behavior changes, our feelings and thinking can change too. We feel that we now feel differently about ourselves. We now think in a clearer way because we change some small actions. Sometimes outside-in change also takes the form of what Willard refers to as condemnation engineering meaning that in much of our lives we experience condemnation. That all around us we find judgmental attitudes, guilt trips, nitpicking over every little thing. So we want to make sure that we do not do that to our clients. The one thing we can be sure of with every client we see is that each of them has experienced some form of condemnation in their life. So we need to practice praying for them, as well as praying for ourselves that we would not have a condemning or judgmental attitude towards them. It can be a real professional challenge when you see clients who have engaged in behavior that you consider repellent, to be able to receive them with true hospitality, and to really be able to pray for them as an act of grace. However, if you find that you cannot get past a sense of condemnation toward a client because of what they've done, the professional and ethical requirement is to refer that person to someone else. You are not required to counsel every person that walks through your door. Now there are two downsides to outside-in change. One is if we misread our clients motivations our efforts can come across as trying to force upon others good things. It is similar to the principle Jesus refers to when he talks about not casting your pearls before the swine. What happens when you feed pearls to pigs? 
Well, it makes them sick because they can't digest them. So you've not only lost your pearls, now the pigs are sick. This is what happens when we force good things on people that they're not ready yet to receive. The second is that we have to be careful to not be more motivated than our clients or we end up working harder than they do and they still do not receive the change. When we went over the metamorph grid, remember that the meta theory behind it is a spiritual formation and soul care model of healing. That is a model of healing based on an inside out change. This is where prayer works within the core self. Those areas of the person's will, their conscience, the awakening of the image of God and the Holy Spirit within that person, the power to be found in a changed heart through Jesus. One key area of the core self is the conscience, which is that area of our inner life in which we discern right from wrong. Now the problem is that true conviction must flow from the inside out. If we're trying to make someone feel convicted with our words, or trying to force outside-in change, then people make comments like, don't preach at me, or you hypocrite, stop looking down on me. For true conviction to work, people must feel like it is coming from them. In the same way, conversion to faith in Christ is an act of the will of a person. It must flow from a person's heart. Paul, writing about this in 1 Corinthians 12, says, No one says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He was acknowledging how the Spirit of God alone works on the heart of a person to draw that person to the faith. So it is the work of the Holy Spirit, stirring up the image of God through which each of us are created, that really begins to move a person toward conviction and then conversion, and toward the great purpose for which they were created. We help this inside-out change through prayer. Prayer is the divine request, and is a way for us to request a changed heart. We never demand, but are persistent and passionate about making our requests known to God, that He might change a person for their good, for His good, and for the good of the world. I hope this information has been useful. Continue to ponder the power of prayer in the lives of our clients.